You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 6 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skiggs, and thanks a lot for tuning in for another episode. Before we get into this week's testimony, you may have seen that I posted a video on the Testimonies with Terry Facebook and Instagram pages this past week, and if you haven't seen it, all you need to know is that if you're interested in coming on the show and sharing your testimony, you can message me on Facebook or Instagram or email me at twterrypod at gmail.com, and we can connect and see if it would be a good fit to have you on the show. So with that out of the way, let's move on to this week's testimony. This is one that I'm really excited for you all to hear, because you're going to hear a testimony of a woman who came from a broken family that was always in transition, dealt with mean girls at school, had a teenage pregnancy that brought a lot of shame on her, and doubts that she'd ever find a man willing to take on everything she had. But God worked through it all and brought her to a place of redemption. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Katie Cushel's testimony. All right, guys, I am here with the very talented Katie Cushel. Katie, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, Katie, I've had the privilege of listening to you sing worship, lead worship at River of Life for a number of years now, and it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of your <laughs> voice, and uh, I, I just love listening to you sing, listening to you worship. When did you realize that you could sing? Um, actually, I think I was like three or four years old, and I grew up, um, my dad sang a lot when we were growing up, um, tried out Tennessee and all that. So he actually was listening to me sing and could hear like, she's actually singing on pitch. So he kind of taught me. And then, um, I started singing in like pancake breakfasts. They were for like raising money for our community or something. I'm not even sure what it was, but, <laughs> yep. um, yeah, that's when it started. I was really young and in the small town newspaper and I, I loved it. I loved it. But um, I think the passion for worship started more in middle school when I was um, at youth group and stuff. I was invited in to play keys and sing. And I <laughs> I told my dad that I, I play to my strengths and piano is not one of them. So... <laughs> <laughs> So who were some of your influences as you were, you know, finding your voice, developing your, your voice? Um, like professionally or like just in, just in, in general. general. Um, so I grew up around, um, the music that we listened to growing up was like Gaither vocal band and very like gospel Elvis, his gospel album. Um, every Sunday on the way to church in Rochester, <laughs> we would listen to that and sing that. Um, so I love that soulful kind of music. It always gets to me, you know, pulls on my heartstrings. But um, as far as people I looked up to um, in like the worship ministry, um, 
a lot of it came from like Des and she was kind of the person that like pulled me in and um, taught me when to sing and when not to and stuff. So I really, I looked to her for a lot of, a lot of the questions that I had and a lot of inspiration too. So. Yeah. And and who's Des for those that don't know? Uh, Des is my youth pastor's wife um, who I grew up with um, here at the church. So Des and Kirby St. John. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Well, it's a privilege to listen to your voice, you know, pretty much every Sunday. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we'll just kind of start where we we always start with this podcast, and that's the beginning. So why don't you kind of take us through where did you grow up? What was family life like for you? Okay. I grew up a little bit of everywhere. I was born in Kansas, and we moved to Minnesota shortly after. I think my brother, my second brother, uh, first brother. I don't know. Um, the next one. He you got a lot of them. Yes. Uh, he was born in Minnesota, so it had to have been like we were there for a year. Anyway, all that to say, we came to Minnesota, and then we moved all over the place in Minnesota. So um, we didn't really put roots down until I was probably in sixth grade. Um, and that's when we moved here um, to Cold Spring. And uh, childhood was a little bit rough. I know my parents will probably listen to this, so <laughs> you know i'll I'll say it like it is, but um, yeah, so it was it was a little rough. Uh, we grew up uh, kind of moving around a lot um, because of jobs, because of finances and things like that. So um, it was tough. It was hard moving from place to place and making new friends and having to start all over and stuff like that. but uh, when we moved here, uh, we got involved with the church and basically what had happened was, um, my parents got into a situation where they ended up splitting up for a year and, uh, we had family aunts and uncles in this area that had come to help us move down here away from my dad. Um, and, I told you I'm a crier and I already feel like I'm on the verge of tears. So try to keep it together. Um, So we moved here and we were here for about a year um, before my parents ended up getting back together. But um, that was all through counseling and stuff through River of Life with Denny at the time. Um, Yeah, that's when I started getting involved in youth group and youth ministry and built like my core group of friends. So, yeah. What was that like for you going through your parents' separation? Um, it was like, it was completely unexpected. Um, I think 9-11 had just happened. And so it was already kind of like a chaotic start to the school year that year. And um, then we had to go from like that chaos to um, my, so my uncle I woke up to him in my room saying, like, Katie, wake up, you know, like, we're going to go. So it was that unexpected, um, where it was the middle of the night and we were taking off kind of a thing. Um, and the whole year, I really, really struggled with a lot of hatred toward, and it was all directed at my uncle, but I think it was directed at him because... I didn't know who else to blame at the time. Um, and we've, I've worked through that now, but then it was a lot of hurt 
thinking that they were taking me away from my dad and well, why were my parents separated in the first place? You know, I was in sixth grade, so it was a lot of question, question marks for me. Um, a lot of bitterness, a lot of hurt. Um, but then I guess like I, I always, I always talk about sixth grade as like the worst year of my life. I hated it. Um, I was bullied in school being the new kid and, uh, I make fun of myself because I have a snaggle tooth and that's when <laughs> it started to grow in was when we moved here at worst timing ever. Um, yeah, so I was made fun of for that. Um, and then just girls, uh, I can still remember there was a list that they made and they said, if you do these 10 things, then we'll be your friend. And I was like, okay, you know, like I wanted to be their friend. I don't know. I don't know how things work in this new place. You know, um, it seemed like something that you'd see on a TV show or whatever. So I was like, is this real life? But anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it was a rough year. It was, I hated that year. Yeah. And that's a tough age, I think, for most people. Sixth grade, you were, what, 11, yeah. 12 mm-hmm. years old? And, I mean, look at everything that was going on in your life at that time. Your parents separated very unexpectedly. You were mm-hmm. torn from your home to go, you know, somewhere else. You're moving to a new school. 9-11 is happening. 11, 12 years old. That wonderful puberty bug is mm-hmm. probably kicking in. There's mean girls. Like, that's a lot yeah. to have to go through all at one time yeah it was it was definitely a lot and like when you look at it back you know hindsight's 2020 but you look back at it now and like at the time it did feel overwhelming but looking at it now I'm like I don't know how I made it through that year you know I don't know how any of us did honestly because it was rough not just for me but the whole family so yeah were you ever told the reason for the separation Not completely. I think that there's always, and I don't know if it's gotten better or not. I don't get into that with them anymore, but, um, I think there was just some bad blood and things were not good. And I think just like my, my mom's family had seen like just the cycle happening over and over again, where we would move and then, um, relocate somewhere else. And then we'd have to move again, you know, finances or whatever. And then, um, it was just kind of a like maybe just a way for them to say, well, if you want an out, here's an out. For my mom, I'm not really sure. Um, but I know that there was like just a lot that – and I think it was – in the long run, it was really good for my dad too just to see like um, what his role really means in our family and um, what it meant for us and for my mom. And he sought out some like counseling and stuff too – and there was marriage counseling and stuff too. So that it was like, it was good for them in the long run, but yeah, not really told a hundred percent what the reason was. Were you able to communicate with your dad at all during that year of separation? Yeah. He would call just about every night. Um, my dad's a over the road truck driver. So we were kind of used to having him gone and back and whatever. Um, so we would talk to him every single night. Um, and he would say good night to us and love you princess and all that. And it would make me cry every single night. <laughs> Cause you wanted your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
So you were able to talk to him. Were you able to see him at all during that year? We didn't see him for probably about six months. And the first time we saw him was, uh, goodness sakes, um, was actually at the church. Um, Denny had arranged for us to all be together in, like, I think it was a conference room or something at that time. Um, and we just had pizza with my dad and our pastor. And it's it was awesome. I remember running in and being, you know, daddy. And it was, yeah, it was good. Um, and then after that, it was more frequent. Uh, I think that's when my parents started um, marriage counseling and stuff and trying to work things out and how, where do we go from here kind of a thing. So all this is going on. Who was your support system throughout all of this? Did you have one or did you feel kind of alone? At that time, I think um, most of it was alone. Man, I haven't thought about that in a, in a long time. Um, mostly alone, I would say. Um I had a cousin that was kind of close in my age, but, uh, at the time, uh, I think it was, we were living with them and stuff. And so it was more like I was probably the, the annoying younger sister kind of a feeling for her. But, um, for the most part, I think I, I kind of went through it alone for that first, for that first year for sure. Um, and then after that, uh, so in sixth grade at that time, you were in, um, it was called missionettes on Wednesday nights and Sunday school and Sunday mornings. And, um, so I had some friends kind of, uh, that first year through church. Um, it wasn't until I started seventh grade and I, um, went to youth group that, um, I met, uh, Amber Haugen and she like took me under her wing, like, I don't know that it was really a choice. <laughs> it was, uh, um, we were just drawn together. And obviously like now I look back and I'm like, there's no way I would have gotten through a lot of what I did without her and some other people that came in to support me. But, and I know the Haugens play a, a big role in your story, mm-hmm. kind of backing up a little bit. What was your relationship with your siblings like during this time? Like oftentimes when, families go through a stressful situation like that, it can either bring everyone together and, you know, we're going to just hunker down together or it can kind of split families Mm -hmm. with every, you know, child kind of having a different viewpoint on who's in the right, who's on the wrong and, and how do we cope with this? So what was your relationship with your siblings like during that time? Um, I was 100% their protector these kind of things would always bring us super close. Um, It was like when you move to another town and nobody has any friends, um, for reference, I have four brothers (laughs) that are younger than me. So um, I just, I felt protective of them. And they, I think, kind of looked up to me and my brother Joe um, just as like that strength and like almost stability, you know, like... uh, they knew that I, they could count on me and I could count on them as well. So, so where did you get your strength as you were being the strong one and the protector for your siblings, where did you get your strength? Like, how did you kind of replenish and, and recharge yourself? Oh, that is a good question. (laughs) Um, 
I don't know, honestly. I think it was definitely the Holy Spirit moving on my behalf because there is, I can't think of anything that I did that was like, you know, whether recreational or, you know, I didn't have any friends at the time. So, um, social media was not a thing. I couldn't like <laughs> go and look on Facebook or anything. Um, honestly, God carried me through 100%. And what was your relationship with God at that time? Um, we grew up uh, knowing who God was and having a pretty solid foundation, um, you know, as far as what God is to us, you know, provider, um, he's faithful and um, he's love, all these things. Um, so I kind of, I knew like the Bible stories and knew enough about him to know that he was always going to be there for me. You know, there was always just that. If there's if there's one thing that I can really commend my parents for, it's for laying that foundation for us um, at a very young age. So, yeah. So when you start going to youth group in seventh grade, were your parents back together at that time? Uh, yes. So they, um, we ended up, they went through marriage counseling and then, so about almost a year exactly, um, from the time they were separated to the time they got together. Um, uh, they were together. We moved into a little blue house on the corner in Richmond. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we started school at Cold Spring. And at, at the time, it felt like life was perfect. You know, my family was back together. So Yeah, do you remember the moment when your mom or your dad or both of them said, Hey guys, we're, we're getting back together. Um, I don't, I remember it more of like a gradual thing because like I had said, they, they started their marriage counseling, um, probably about six months in. And then, so then that the next six months, um, my dad would drop in, we were living in an apartment in cold spring, um, a townhouse. And so he would come in and we would see him a lot more. So I think it was just like that. We saw it coming, could see the light at the end of the tunnel kind of a thing. So. so then you start going to youth group at River of Life in seventh grade. Amber Haugen really takes you under her wing. Kind of talk to us more about that. Um, so in seventh grade, we we started youth group, and it was like in the shed that was, I don't know, close to the church. Um, and... We had small groups. I think this is where it all started for like the relationship, I guess, started. Um, uh, we had a small group, and the first one I had ever been in was, we called it TJ's, uh, Tin Man's Journey. And I can't really remember <laughs> why. Um, I think it had to do with like his the Tin Man finding his heart, like wanting a heart. Very profound. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> For seventh grade. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we did that. And it, at that time, it wasn't like split up by grade. They had kind of mixed in different age groups. So middle school to high school. I think I was like the, the youngest one. Um, and I remember that year baking a cake and I think Amber has a picture of it somewhere where um, it was a chocolate cake with chocolate icing and sprinkles and red hots and 
uh, Jelly Belly Jelly Beans and any kind of cake topping I could find. Um, and I think that's when we became best friends. <laughs> it was like, um, yeah, we started the small group. And then by the time I was graduating high school, she had been my small group leader from seventh grade to my senior year. So, so she did a lot of life with you. A lot. Yeah. Picking me up, dropping me off. Lots of things. What was it like to finally have that, that friend, that support system in your life? You mentioned, you know, up to that point, life was pretty unstable for you mm -hmm. and, and you didn't really have, you know, because of the moving and, and everything, a, a lot of friends, uh, a lot of people to, to kind of lean on. So what was it like to finally have Amber and, and I would imagine like the people in your youth group to, to finally have that support? Mm-hmm. Um. Man, it I didn't realize like how much it meant until they they left the church. Um and they're they're doing great things, but um at the at the time I didn't really realize it was just like this relationship that grew out of basically nothing, you know. So um but looking back, I guess it was it it meant everything cuz like you said I hadn't had anybody that was really stable in my life at all. And I think that um, Haugen's along with, like, um, my best friend is somebody I met in middle school here at the church. So just to have that, it almost made me feel, like, normal, I guess. Like, it it grounded me a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Like, there's so many things that I would run to um to amber about um and just like life stuff you know whether it was like little or i was dating some boy or <laughs> you know years later uh being like hey i'm pregnant you know like these were like the huge moments that i would just always run to her for so sixth grade was rough year. Did seventh and eighth grade get any better going into high school? Did did you make friends? Did things slowly kind of start coming together for you? Yes. So um, sixth grade, actually, I did meet my my best friend was through middle school and high school. I met her in sixth grade um, and ended up having like a really good core group of friends. Um, I loved it. I loved the experience of middle school and high school. I think I was super, super annoying, um, full of energy and probably super extroverted, I would say, <laughs> at that point. Um, and yeah, I had a good core group of friends in high school, but it was always like, my church friends and my school friends, you know, it was always separated. It was like, I remember even like, um, we had a huge group of friends. I, we did everything together. Um, but I still remember being like, I just want like more than that. You know, like I want to be one of those like popular kids or whatever. And even in, in like with my church friends, I remember them like different adults that, were pretty influential in their lives. I remember looking like I want their approval. You know, it was always like searching for something like deeper and I didn't really realize like 
at the time, like what I was really searching for. I just knew I wanted like more out of those relationships. When, when you say you were looking for approval, what, what do you mean by that? I think I just wanted to like, like know that like I was accepted and like for who I was, because while we're, um, in the same area from sixth grade till my senior year, um, there was like a little blip in there where we moved away and came back, but um, we were still moving from house to house to house. And so there wasn't really a whole lot of stability in my home life. Um, but I wanted to make it appear that way to my friends and like, they weren't stupid, you know, I needed rides everywhere. And, um, I was on scholarship for a lot of, uh, any sport that I did, which wasn't very many, <laughs> I'm not athletic. <laughs> what ones did you do? Um, I played softball in middle school, and I played right field because I sucked. <laughs> and I was a cheerleader in high school. And that I was actually pretty good at. So I'm I'm pretty proud of that part. Um, but that's it. That's all I did. <laughs> so then you alluded to it earlier, teen pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So walk us through that. When When did that happen? Um, so that was my senior year and, um, I was dating somebody who, uh, and he would say the same thing. I know it, but we, (laughs) I don't know how we started dating because we did not run in the same friend circles or anything like that. Um, but super great guy. Uh, we started dating and then ended up going to prom together, um, And broke up the day after prom. Um, And I had found out like three days later that I was pregnant. Um, (laughs) I joke about it now, but it's it's, whatever. It's funny. Um, All my friends would say, you have a prom baby. He was not a prom baby. (laughs) I found out right after prom. Um, Anyway, so just to clear the air there. Yeah, I'm not sure how we started dating, how we, like, it was a very short relationship, but um, a high school relationship where, um, like I had said before, in my friend friend circles, I was looking for more approval of who I was and if they wanted to be my friend because of me, who I am, but knowing that they didn't even know who I was because they didn't know everything I was hiding. Um, and in the same, same sense, um, throughout high school, I dated too many people <laughs> and, um, man, it was like, just, I knew that I was looking for that love and accept- acceptance, um, in the wrong places. It's such a cliche, but I was, uh, and so it ended up with, after dating all these people, um, my senior year, a month before graduation, finding out I was pregnant. Um, and at that time I was serving on the worship team at the youth group. And I didn't realize um, how much of a difference or an impact I was making on people until, honestly, I probably have just started hearing stories about, oh, you were Katie Green. Everybody knew who Katie Green was. And I was like, what? You know, I didn't see myself like that at all. So, yeah, that was tough. That was um, a defining, (laughs) defining moment for sure. So as a therapist, I psychoanalyze everything <laughs> and... Psychoanalyze me. <laughs> and, 
And you were separated from your dad for a year. I, I think about attachment. Attachment is how we give and receive love. And not having your dad there at a very important developmental stage for you clearly made an impact. Mm -hmm. When it comes to guys, do you, looking back at hindsight being 2020, do you feel like being away from dad? And I mean, not even that, but your dad being an over the road trucker probably being gone a lot just with that and working a lot. Like, do you feel that there was like that extra desire to, I just want to feel like loved by a guy? Um, I think maybe. Um, but like when my dad was home, he was really good at showing me, um, that he cared about me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and always called to check in. He still does, <laughs> but, I think a part of me, yeah, definitely wanted that kind of an acceptance, um, the approval from a man, any man that would give me approval. Um, and I was just thinking about it the other day because I was like, I don't know what questions he's going to ask, but I know we're going to go here. Um, <laughs> I just think that, um, you know, we long for um, approval and acceptance from everybody you know whether you want to admit it or not you know everybody's looking for that on some level and uh i think for me i just really i liked the way that i felt when um another boy let's face it they were boys not men um would tell me that they loved me or um like the way i felt when they wanted to hold my hand you know like and then it just escalates from there where it's like you're just searching and searching for that next high of it felt good when he said that, you know, well, what if we just do this? You know, it's not that big of a deal. So, yeah, on some level, I think that it was, probably was that acceptance from a man, you know, wanting a man's presence. So before we go any further, what advice would you have to teenage girls now that mm -hmm. are seeking out love, seeking out acceptance for, you know, from guys, mm -hmm. what advice would you, would you give them? Um, I'm already tearing up and choking up. Uh, if I could give advice to any teenage girl looking for that, um, whether you realize it or not, I would look her in the eyes and tell her that she's worth so much more and that she was bought at a price that nobody else could pay you know um and just to really like look down 10 years from now do you want this to be how your story started you know um because all of our actions have consequences good or bad so for me I think that's like the biggest thing was that I wish somebody had told me that I was worth it you know, that, and I'm sure I had some people that were saying it, but it's like, I wanted, I'm not even sure. Maybe my dad, maybe my mom, um, people of influence just to look at me and say, you're so much worth so much more, you know, than what you're letting yourself go for. That's a good word. That's a good word. <laughs> So three days after prom, you find out you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. You're weeks away from graduation at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Take us through that. What what was it like having to tell your family, t- telling Amber Haugen? What was that like <laughs> oh, doing that? Uh, so I found out I was pregnant and I told two of my friends right away from high school. None of my <laughs> definitely didn't tell my church friends <laughs> right away. <laughs> uh, but I found out coincidentally on a Wednesday. <laughs> and knew I had to go to youth group that night (laughs) where something was weird and because Amber was probably picking me up. But um, (laughs) I, so I told two of my friends and that was it from school. And then I went to youth group and (laughs) Kirby St. John, bless his heart, was um, speaking on (laughs) what skeletons do you have hiding in your closet? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, So obviously, I'm like sitting there uh, already. I'm already a crier, naturally. Always have been. Um, And then add my (laughs) teenage pregnancy hormones on top of that. I was just a puddle, a huge mess. And so Amber, obviously, and Kirby and Des and everybody knew something was up, but um, I ended up down at the altar. I Amber came up and she prayed for me and asked me, you know, what's going on? And I like choked out the words, I'm pregnant. And she sat there at the altar and cried with me. And then from there, we went to Kirby and Dez's house after youth group. And I sat on there their bed with them and we were talking and told them that I was pregnant and they both broke down and sobbed with me. Um, I remember the words, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. (laughs) Oh, those like hurt. Um, those almost hurt more than mm -hmm, than just be mad at me. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and but I also remember Kirby saying, God still has a plan for your life, and you're still going to get there. It just might take a little longer than what he had planned for you in the first place. And it was like right then when I was like, like really there's nothing that I can do or um, I can't, like I can't hide from it. I can't run from God, because there's nothing that I can't do that he will not forgive me for and love me for and still bring purpose from it. Amen. So, um, yeah, I remember Kirby saying that. And from there, it was just kind of like I I waited. So I found out that Wednesday. I told them that Wednesday night, and I waited two more weeks to tell my parents. (laughs) Um, I... And, oh, I was such a coward. <laughs> oh, man. I I wrote them a letter. <laughs> I wrote my parents a, a letter, and it might have been like two pages front and back. <laughs> and I put it under their coffee pot so they would find it in the morning. And um, mind you, I was 17, so justified. <laughs> um and then I hid in my room until like noon and I came out and then, uh, cause I was hungry. 
<laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have been out there. And uh, my it was very, very quiet. And my mom was going back to the coffee pot. And my dad was standing at the counter. And I was pouring a bowl of cereal. And he came up to me. And he hugged me. And he said, uh, I love you, princess. And I will always be proud of you. And I will always love you. So it was like... Then I'm crying again, and you know, um, but yeah, so then I had to come out, and my parents were really supportive. They never, um, I went through a whole process, long process of, um, looking into, um, adoption and whether I wanted a parent or not. And my parents never told me one way or another what I should do or what I shouldn't do, they just supported me. Um, but I did end up living with, well, let's back up, let's back up. So I ended up having to go and tell, we're talking about telling everybody. So I went and had to go tell the whole youth group and stand up there on a Wednesday night in front of all my peers because I was in a leadership, student leadership position. And I had to tell everybody that I made a mistake and I and pregnant and I'm not going to be doing <laughs> ministry anymore, you know, at that point. Um, that was hard. I had some of my like closest friends from church that were there that had no idea, you know? Um, and I remember, uh, my friend Leah <laughs> being like right in front of me and, she thought I was like going out to speak and like, wow, go Katie. <laughs> and I look at her and her jaw is like on the floor, like what? Um, yeah, telling people was really hard. It's a really hard and um, shame filled thing, you know, especially at that age where I feel like I carried that around for a long time. A lot of shame. Yeah. What was the youth group's reaction? Uh, you know, I didn't stick around long enough to really <laughs> get a good read of the room. <laughs> I, uh, I, it was very, very somber in there. Um, very quiet, a lot. And there was a huge gasp. <laughs> Everybody was kind of taken aback. Um, yeah. But then, um, so uh, I was a senior in high school, so I had plans for the fall. I was going to go to Rockford Master's Commission, and uh, that was like a kind of like Heartland here, where it's like a 12-month or nine-month nine month internship with a church, and you learn how to do ministry, and um, my calling, I felt that my life was to go into worship ministry. Um, obviously, that wasn't going to happen now. <laughs> I wasn't going to move to Illinois. <laughs> Um, while being pregnant, uh, anyway, so, um, so since I had plans to just kind of get out of my house, um, my living situation with my parents and stuff, it, and like I said, it was still kind of the different houses, like every other year. Um, so just to know that there would be like a, that stability there, um, Kirby and Des invited me to come live with them for my pregnancy and they kind of helped me help guide me through like just all the, all the things that like I, w I wasn't really necessarily 
necessarily thinking about um, adoption or um, parenting, what each would look like. Um, we went through and actually looked through uh, family profiles. Um, they called them lookbooks where I was and just really got a feel. And they prayed for me, obviously, so much. And um, I had a curfew. Um, I think I had a curfew with my parents, too, but I didn't abide by it. Um, but I had a curfew there. There was, um, just really solid boundaries set for me, things that I couldn't do and could do. Um, and, uh, the biggest thing was that, um, they wanted me to have a devotional time every single day and, uh, just dive into the word of God and praying and all that. So, we did a lot of praying over over my pregnancy and my decisions and all that. Was your baby's dad in the picture at all during this time? Were you in communication with him? Um, I, at my 20-week ultrasound, when I found out that it was a boy, I texted him, <laughs> yeah, it's a boy. And he said, cool. <laughs> but... Okay, so, like, during the pregnancy, no, he wasn't involved. But I will say that um, he was a student. He went to college um, up north and also played football and stuff there. So, and I was due in November. So, that's like, you know, you're wrapping up football. I think you're wrapping up football um, and finals and things before all your break break stuff. Uh, and I actually ended up delivering five or six weeks early. So it was completely, I was due in December. That's right. So I was due in December and he, uh, Carson came at in November, almost exactly a month early when I called Carson's dad. Um, he took his last final and he was there. And he's been there ever since for Carson. So he has been really good. Who was with you during during the labor process? It sounds like you had a really great support system throughout your pregnancy. So who was, who was there with you as, as you were giving birth to Carson? Yes. Okay. So I actually, um, there's a theme here. Like it, everything happens on Wednesday night. So I went into, my water broke actually. Um. And I went to the hospital with my mom. My brother drove us. And uh, I can remember him. It's like the way that you picture any first-time dad. Like, it's time. We need to go to the hospital. And he did the same thing. He was like, what? What? What do, I, what, what do you need me to do? What do I do? You know? So my brother drives me um, with my mom. And then uh, my mom was in the room when I delivered and Amber and Des were in the hallway and heard him cry when he was born. So they also got to see a nursing assistant. Um, I don't think she was an assistant. It was like a, they're just kind of trying out different, <laughs> different departments. Kind of like a shadow. Yes. Yes. We have a student shadowing today. Would you mind? I'm like, I don't care. Um, and uh, apparently this was not <laughs> the department they wanted to be in because 
they came out and <laughs> there were two nurses holding another nurse and they got out and the door shut and they dropped this nurse. She had passed out <laughs> from <laughs> seeing a child born. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yes, so that was like the funniest story I think that came out of all of them. So she got some clarity on her career uh, choices. Yes, yes, and the birthing wing is not her calling. (laughs) So, Katie, you give birth to Carson, and the doctors hand Carson over to you, put him in in your arms. What was going through your your mind? Yes, so um, I was... (laughs) First of all, I asked the doctor if they could clean him up before they handed him to me. Oh, man. The things. The things. Um, uh, Yeah, so I was like, holy crap, (laughs) I think, was about all I could come up with. And just, you know, I was in tears because that's what I do. And um, just an overwhelming sense of, like, peace and calm um i i had a confidence that like i could do this and i if we back up a little bit um i think about a month before he was born maybe even just a couple weeks um i had told amber and des that i was choosing to parent um i felt like just in my devotional times in my praying and just really seeking the lord for <laughs> any kind of a sign of what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I just really felt like he was mine and um, not somebody else's to parent. You know what I mean? Like I felt like God was going to teach me so much more through parenting him than having somebody else raise him. Um, I'm not like, I'm not saying that's the right choice for everybody because it's definitely not. Um, had I not had the support system that I did, I would have chose differently, I think. Yeah. Obviously this is a hypothetical situation, but if you didn't have your support system and if you didn't have that faith, Mm -hmm. that faith in Christ, man, your outcome probably would have been a lot different. Mm -hmm. I remember like, uh, so I told those two friends that day that I found out and I remember walking into the high school and it was like a scene out of a movie where everybody stopped (laughs) and like looked at me and I was like, everybody knows, you know, it's a small town. Everybody knows. Um, one of the first things that happened after that was that, uh, my guidance counselor called me into her office and, just asked me, you know, what my thoughts were and um, explained my options, quotes. <laughs> um, and I looked at her in the eyeballs and I said, I am not aborting this baby. Um, and she looked at me and she was like, can I just ask you, you know, like, what's your reasoning behind it? She's like, I'm not trying to force you one way or another, but... uh what's your reasoning behind it? And I said, well, I made a choice and um, made a mistake to have sex outside of marriage. And why should this baby not be able to live because of my 
my poor decision, you know, like it's, it wasn't my decision to make to end his life or not, you know, that wasn't in my hands. What was in my hands was what I was going to do from here on out with my life, you know? So I, yeah, I got asked that a few times, you know, well, why don't you just have an abortion? And this is obviously a hot topic, <laughs> but from to me, like this was just, it's not just something I believe it's like a conviction inside of me, you know, um, I did not have the right to end that life. So, um, yeah, had I not known who Jesus Christ was in my life, then things would have probably gone a whole lot different. Yeah. And Katie, there may be women listening to this right now who are considering an, an abortion right now. And I mean, you, I, you just kind of spoke to them there, but anything else that you would, any advice that you would give to someone right now who's seriously considering an abortion? Mm -hmm. Um, for, for me personally, like looking back, like I had said, I, had I not had the support system, I probably would have chosen to put him in an adoptive, adoptive home. Um, but I'd say, um, seek out counsel, like wise counsel, not just like a counselor at a Planned Parenthood or, um, at a crisis pregnancy center even, um, but seek out, um, a pastor or, um, maybe if you don't have that, I guess, you know, there's, uh, I believe Elevate in St. Cloud where they have the, the faith-based knowledge, you know, where it's not the worldly view, um, seek that out and really, really pray about your decision. Cause it's going to leave an impact no matter what, you know, either way, I can only really speak to a, the decision that I made to parent and, Looking back, he's taught me ooh, so much more um, about myself and who I believe I am um, and who Christ has called me to be um, in my home, you know, with or without um, a husband. I can't imagine my life without my son. So, yeah, I really pray about it, <laughs> you know. Yes. <laughs> So, Katie, you give birth to Carson. Did you continue living with Kirby and Des after that? Or what did life look like those first few months as as a parent? Yes. Um, so I ended up moving back in with my parents um, and my family. And uh, it was, I was tired a lot. <laughs> I didn't get to sleep in until noon on the weekends <laughs> the summer after my after this baby was born, you know, like, um, it was crazy, but I did like, uh, probably the first, for sure, the first year of Carson's life. Um, I, I fell back into the, some of the old patterns, um, dating people and like searching for that. I think like being a single mom, I was like, um, it almost brought like a whole new level of like wanting somebody like a man in my life, you know? Um, and I think, uh, at that point I kind of realized that I didn't want 
uh, I didn't want to fall into the same patterns. I didn't want to be that person anymore, you know? Uh, and eventually kind of found my way out of it. I'm not really, I think it was back to that, um, people I had been connected with, um, throughout my pregnancy. Um, my friend Tammy Lindell, um, just kept checking in on me, seeing how I was, you know, um, and kind of pulled me out of it. Like, wake up girl, you know, like that's probably exactly what she said, (laughs) you know, snap out of it. This is not who you're called to be, you know? Um, but yeah, being a teenage mom, I think I still had the support. I still had the support of my parents and stuff, but in some ways almost to a fault where I think I just depended on them. Like I just leave Carson with them and go do what I wanted to do. You know, I feel like I, I justified it by like, well, I mess, missed out on this college experience, you know. Um, so why can't I just live that right now? You know, I'm not pregnant anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, there was a year or two for sure that I kind of was in and out of knowing who I was called to be and kind of like fighting back against it. Like I didn't want to fully embrace it because I didn't want to fully let go of the fun, you know, that I was having or whatever. So you mentioned you started dating again. What was that like for you, you know, trying to get into your headspace here? You're, you know, young woman, early 20s with a a child. Did you struggle with doubting that who would want this? Who would want to walk into this kind of situation where I'm a young mom, I, you know, don't have the college education now because I, you know, am a mom. Like, did you just have concerns and, and yeah, just doubts that, man, am I ever going to find someone who wants to be a part of this? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think I battled with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every day. Um, the first relationship I got in um, was just dumb. It was just dumb. Um, somebody I knew from high school. And then after that, it was like I was, okay, the next person I date <laughs> is going to be somebody that can take this on. You know, like, we're a package deal now. And I would go on that, like, I'd be super strong <laughs> and know what I wanted and I wouldn't settle. And then um, I dated um, actually a pastor that (laughs) uh, I really, like, that was the first relationship where I was like, I felt like I was doing things the right way, you know? And, um, like, he was a pastor, so this was, like, a good relationship. It was a healthy relationship. And uh, when we ended up breaking up, I almost fell, like, further back into that pit of shame. Um, I felt like everywhere I went, I was just, like, branded that single mom, you know. Um, I felt like I wasn't worth anything anymore, you know. Like, this was a lot for me, you know, to deal with, like, to take care of a baby and um, a lot of responsibility there. And so why would anybody else want to come in and 
try to take care of both of us. And I had gone to beauty school. I'm a licensed cosmetologist. Um, But (laughs) even that, like, like, I'm proud of that now. You know, I love what I do. But at that time, I just kept looking at it like, of course, I'm a cosmetologist. All single moms are, you know, like I felt like I was just put in, I put myself in this box and I think I let the relationships that I got in like tape the box shut, you know, it was hard to come out of that. Eventually, um, it was actually Amber when I was I don't know, maybe 20 or something, maybe 21 or 22. I don't know, early 20s. She said, hey, Carol Lund is starting a single mother's retreat. And it was the first year that they were ever having one. Um, She's like, if I paid for it, would you go? <laughs> and I was like, um... I mean, I guess, <laughs> like, do I have to go by myself? And um, anyway, she paid for it, and I went. And honestly, the whole time I was just so focused on the fact that I was by myself <laughs> that I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> um, but good did come out of it. I left um, right after the last session, and... On my way home, I just remember breaking down and crying and really asking God, like, what do you want from my life? Because I'm so tired, you know, like I'm so tired of like dating these people (laughs) that aren't, aren't right for me. And I'm sick of like letting him down and letting, um, myself down. And I just like, I feel like I just made an altar in my car and completely surrendered. And I was like, whatever you want, you know, like I know that this was a calling, the worship ministry stuff was a calling on my life. If that's not what you have for me, then that's okay. But I want you to show me what you do have for me. And clear as day, I heard the Lord's voice and, um, He said, I have the perfect man for you. And I wasn't wasn't really expecting him to speak to me about a man right away. (laughs) But this is what he said. So, all right, God. Uh, He said, I have the perfect man for you. And he is a man that is humble and strong. He's somebody that knows what it's like. I'm going to (laughs) cry. He's somebody that knows what it's like to grow up with without his biological dad um, who grew up in a broken home. He's somebody that works hard and and does everything that he can to make a living and to succeed. He's stable and he loves me and will lead you and your family the way that I've called you all. To follow me. And I was like, I'm still bawling, but like (laughs) in the back of my mind, I'm like, 
that's not God. Like, that's just got to be my my wish list because that's, like, everything I, I've prayed for and, like, my list. And, uh, like, a week later, <laughs> my mom was like, Katie, <clears throat> what do you think about Justin? Justin was, like, my younger brother's best friend. That <laughs> was, like, um... A little young for me, mom. And she's like, mm, I don't know. He acts a lot older than he is. And then we, <laughs> Justin and I started talking, and um, I found out that he <laughs> is the strongest, most humble person I know. He doesn't brag about anything. Um, <laughs> actually, like, we just got a new car, and I'm like, let's show the world. And he's like, can you park it in the garage? <laughs> like... <laughs> He's humble. Um, and he is so good at leading our family. Um, he loves Jesus and makes me want to love Jesus more. And he he grew up. Um, his dad was an alcoholic. His biological dad was an alcoholic and ended up dying when he was young. So his stepdad stepped in and raised him. And I see... I see more of his stepdad in him than I think even I see of his mom in him. So he definitely knows what it's like to grow up in a broken home and to see that restored um, through a stepdad. And he's been everything that <clears throat> I prayed for and so much more, you know, like when we, when we finally are willing to surrender to what, God's call is, then he's able to bring what he wants for you, you know, what he's had all along, as long as we're willing to surrender and give it completely to him, you know, not to say that I haven't tried to pick it up, you know, I do that probably daily, but um, every day is a battle to to lay it down, lay my kids down, and um, <clears throat> know that they're not mine, you know, they never were mine, they were the lords and raising them in that and raising them in a now stable and healthy home you know it's been more than a dream come true for me man thinking back to those <clears throat> those years that you had those thoughts of who would be willing to do this who would want this mm -hmm. and and finally having that now Mm -hmm. The Lord providing you, Justin, and Justin just checking every box. Mm -hmm. What a what a testimony in and of itself that is. Yeah. Of of God knowing exactly what you need, providing it exactly when you needed it. I know I've had you a couple of times speak directly to women who may be in your uh, you know situation at certain points of their life, but women out there, single moms. I know you have a huge heart for them. Mm -hmm. Single moms who are really struggling believing that, yeah, there could be a guy out there for me that would be willing to take this all on. What do you want to say to them? Mm -hmm. Man, I would say that you have got to learn to love yourself and to lay the shame down because that's going to follow you everywhere. And as long as you're full of shame, you're not going to see anybody that God has for you, you know, like he could be right in front of you like Justin was, 
You know, he's my brother's best friend. He was right in front of my face all this time. But it wasn't until, like, I laid it down and I said, God, you can take the shame, you know, and you can take all the past hurt and all these stupid relationships and I'm going to give them to you, you know. Like, I still I still struggle with shame from time to time, but I would tell any single mom. I've also seen it said solo mom not single, to lay the shame down and give it completely to God. And if you find yourself picking it up again the next day, then give it back to him the next day and the next day and the next day, and you will never regret it a day in your life. Yeah, That's such a good word. How do you continue to navigate through that shame? Um, I think a lot of it comes from, obviously, how I think that people see me and the fact that I care. <laughs> You know, um, I think that a lot of times it's just easy for us, I think, especially as women, um, but that's all I can speak to because I am a woman, um, (laughs) that where we just look at, um, we compare ourselves to people that have it together when I was single. I compared myself to married women with kids and husbands and they seem to have it all together when I was like at my heaviest weight I compared myself to people that were worked out every single day and didn't have an inch of fat on their body you know like they didn't have kids (laughs) so I think it's just really super easy for us to keep comparing ourselves um but when I realized that I was doing that and it was like the perception of like they're skinny so they have to think I'm fat you know or um they've got it all together they've got to see my mess you know the fact that I even cared that what they were thinking of me even though (laughs) they probably hadn't even had a thought about me um it's just all that internalized um perception of what we think people are thinking so um all that being said it comes back to seeing it realizing you're doing it in a moment um, or maybe a week later and then turning it around and lining up um, truth, you know, with the lies that I'm believing. So where I think I'm unworthy, like God says that I'm worth it. He said that by giving his life for me, you know, when I didn't deserve it and just really trying to train your mind to trade all the evil for good, you know, all the, all the lies for truth. And I have to do it every single day. (laughs) So, yeah. And I I think you're right on. I think it, it all comes down to knowing exactly who you are in Christ and knowing that shame doesn't come from God. You know, shame is from the enemy. It's a tactic that he uses to distort our perception of ourselves and really just drive ourselves crazy. Mm -hmm. And, because of what Jesus did for us, we can take authority over that. And Absolutely. it's so cool how even though you can, you know, you acknowledge that you do have some, you know, struggles with shame yet, that you you find yourself back to that place of victory, that place of redemption, that you are mm-hmm. not what the enemy says you are. You are a daughter of God. You mm-hmm. are, you know, made pure and and made clean and and the past can't hurt you anymore. Mhm. Absolutely. I think of um 
And I feel like God brings the story up over and over and over again because he knows how much I love it and relate to it. I think of Ruth and Naomi and how um, they felt worthless, you know, because their husbands had died and how God had taken their stories and just completely turned them around, you know. Um, maybe just the fact that they're women and I can relate to them, but um, seeing their their mourning turn into joy and how God completely redeemed them. And um, in my story, I feel like I give God all the glory because he has completely taken my life and redeemed it. And I think that's my favorite word, <laughs> you know, is redeem. Um, there's there's so much more that he can do and so much more to my redemption story. And I, I get so excited because... I just look at all these other redemption stories, you know, like I'm, I listen to Mackenzie's story, you know, and just how she overcame so much, you know, God is in the redemption business. And, um, that's exciting to me. It makes me look at the single moms and the drug addicts and the people that just are stuck in the same cycles. And I just get so excited to see what God's going to do and how he's going to use them. And, even to see how much he's going to use me, you know. And when I thought that, you know, I wouldn't get to do any ministry anymore, you know, when I thought that, that was over, um, I got to start doing worship. And that, like, fills me up, you know, like just to lead people into the presence of the Lord. Um, well, it's such a... It's such an honor, you know, um, to use gifts that he's given us. And I would say if you have a, a gift or a calling that you feel has been put on, on hold because of, you know, something in your past or something that's holding you back, whether it's shame or guilt or, you know, just feeling unworthy, I would say keep, keep calling out to God. You know, um, we talk about singing your way into the truth all the time and, Honestly, when we posture our hearts to worship the Lord with our full soul, you know, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, God is going to take that and use it. You know, those dreams that you had and that he birthed in you will have new life, you know. Um, yeah, so that's why, that's why I love redemption, because it's brought everything like full circle. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the perfect word to describe your story. And you and Justin have been married for how long now? Um, we it'll be eight years in May. And how many kids do you guys have? Uh, we have four, including Carson, my first, and one on the way. Ah, uh, Terry didn't know that. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> Congratulations. So we will have five. Oh, my goodness. That is awesome. What a blessing. Yes. What a blessing. What what is Justin and Carson's relationship like? I love their relationship. So Carson loves video games and football, but he doesn't like to watch football. He likes to play it. Um, and he also loves things like nerdy things that I just don't understand. (laughs) 
Um, he he likes Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon and those things. And Justin just happens to like those things too. Um, and Justin has never missed a game of Carson's. Um, he's been there probably more than I could be. Sometimes when I was working in the salon, I worked a lot of nights and weekends. And uh, their relationship is really good. Sometimes I think I get jealous because I think it's stronger than my relationship with him. But he's almost a teenager now. So that's weird. It's like, back off, mom. (laughs) You know, like he still wants me close, but like. You know, he wants mom when he wants mom, not when he doesn't, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. What's it been like co-parenting with Carson's dad? Um, Honestly, I think that, not to say that we haven't had any struggles, because there have been some. Um, I think it's difficult when you're parenting with, co-parenting with somebody who, not all their beliefs in their convictions and things line up with um what yours are you know we're not going to agree on everything but i think i've had um a lot of people that have worked with co-parenting people mediating and things like that um have said that they cannot believe how well we work together um we don't really do anything through court systems or anything like that um i've i've been hot-headed and he has, you know, we're both married now. Um, so there's there's always going to be some kind of conflict, I think. But for the most part, we've really been able to be um, respectful of each other. And I think that's huge for any kid, whether it's a divorced family or, you know, growing up that way your whole life, like Carson has, you know, your parents separated. I think the best thing that you can do for your child is to, if you're able um, co-parent, um, well and respectfully. And one thing I've always tried my best to do is to not put down his dad or his stepmom in any way, um, in front of him and even like to Justin, because I think that our words have power. And when we speak things out about people, sometimes they become it. You know, um, and if they don't actually become it, we start to see them more and more like that. So we just try to speak kindly about each other. I think, I think it's important. I think that shows the maturity that you guys have to, at the end of the day, put Carson's interests, you know, first and, and give him stability and consistency, which is what he needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've come a long way since high school. (laughs) Well, Katie, you've come a long ways, you know, Yeah. I mean, together you guys have, but even just you yourself have come a long ways since Mm -hmm. high school. And before we wrap up, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, I know you and your family had a ton of just like awesome blessings (laughs) regarding, you know, your house and and finances. Mm -hmm. And so why don't we end with with that testimony? I'm going to try to make this as like the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) Um, So last year... We felt led to, I felt led <laughs> first. <laughs> I felt led to sell our house, and I felt like we had to sell it right now. Um, it was fall, 
and or the middle of summer, I think, when I started having these thoughts, the stirring. So I had Justin was working a ton, so I had somebody come in and fix up the house and finish projects. And then I told Justin in the fall, it was probably September, I was like, uh, I think we need to sell our house and we should do it right now. Because at this point we had some debt and it was like, it wasn't debilitating, but it was like getting to where we were both stressed. And I said, if we sell our house, we can pay off all of our debt, buy a new house, and that's the only debt we'll have. And he liked the sound of that, but he was like apprehensive. Where will we stay? Well, things started lining up um, <clears throat> for us. We we ended up listing our house, and um, a friend who <laughs> Justin was convinced would never let us stay at the resort was like, <laughs> yeah, you can stay here if you sell your house. So we sold our house, and we moved to a resort. Um, shout out to the Rugamers. Um, they opened that door wide for us, and we ended up finding our uh, – I, I, I hate to say forever because I don't know what that looks like, but definitely for the next 10 to 15 years, we will be in this home. Um, and it checked all the boxes. <laughs> so again, God, like it, I felt, I feel like we were in a season of where, um, God called us like, Hey, I've got the answer for you. You know, I felt the stirring in my heart. And at the time, like Justin was like, well, why don't I feel that way then? if you feel so strongly, why don't I feel that way right now? And I was like, I don't know, but I know that you will know when you know. <laughs> and um, so it was it was such a cool way to watch his faith grow Um, where I had, when I was growing up, it was like, that's all I had was my faith, you know, like faith that um, God was going to provide. And I don't know what, where we're moving next or what we're doing next, but um. I know that God has something, you know, that next step and blind faith. Um, and Justin didn't grow up like that. It was like a, if you have, you have it, you save it and you keep it until you, you absolutely have everything else paid off. You know, like you have to have the cash for it now, all that, um, things have to logically line up. Um, so just to see that, like the difference, the polar opposites, and see God work that in him where his eyes were totally open and like, um, so this, <laughs> Justin thought that this resort owner would not let us stay there for the winter because it is a big in inconvenience, you know, especially a family of our size. And then, uh, they were like, yeah, absolutely. And actually, why don't you stay here? And all you have to pay for is the heat. And, <laughs> and we were like, um, other places are charging $1,500 a month. And we knew that would be a door slammed if that were the case. And Justin looked at me wide-eyed, like, when he said that. And he was like, I get it, you know. <laughs> um, so we stayed there. We bought this house that we now live in. And it checked all the boxes, um, the <laughs> three-stall garage. This was very important to Justin. He really wanted a house in the country. We didn't get that. That was the only box not checked at this point. And... But he got his three-stall garage and his detached shed <laughs> that he won't let me put anything in because <laughs> that's his space. <laughs> um, but I got the four bedrooms for our kids, the two bathrooms, um, open concept, like uh, main laundry, 
it's just like all the tiny, I got a tiny, it's a small front porch, but it's a front porch. It was on my list <laughs> and a patio, nice neighborhood. It's just, it was absolutely an answer to prayer. And then, <laughs> so had God not opened the door to this resort, had we not stepped out in faith last fall and sold our house when we did and then stayed at this resort, um, we would not have known at all about um, this land that came up for sale. So the owner of the resort, um, he was selling 20, nope, 10 acres, 10 acres of land just for hunting. And that's literally all Justin wants land for is for hunting. Um, <laughs> uh, he was selling it. He had just come into some property, wanted to sell this, but his wife didn't really want to sell it. <clears throat> um, uh, Justin was, Justin grew up with, um, this guy's son. They were really good friends. And so Andy is his name. He came up to Justin and was like, Hey, my dad wants to sell this land. My mom's not too sure about it, but I bet he would, they would sell it to you. And he's like, okay, well, tell your dad I'm interested. Well, he tells his dad and then his dad comes back and says, Oh, well, if you want to buy it, I'll sell it to you on contract for deed. So it doesn't affect the loan of your new house. You can pay it whenever you want. Like it wasn't, it's not like this, it's not like a bank owned property where you're locked into it. There's no stress in it. Um, there's been no stress at all with the way that we've come into our home and our land. So I feel like we stepped out in faith and in obedience. And when you do that, God blesses you. He blesses that. And Amen. it's been incredible. Yeah. 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 I I remember as this was all going in, obviously I was viewing it from the outside. So Katie's my hair lady. So I would go over to, to her house and you'd fill me in on like these latest developments. And it seemed like things just kept falling into place. Like yes. it was almost like you couldn't do anything wrong. Like God's mm -hmm. blessings were just so... There's nothing you could do to stop it, right. and, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Once he, once that tide's going, like just get ready and be blessed. Yes. And what what stands out to me throughout that that testimony you just shared is that God is such a good dad who knows how to give good gifts. Yes, absolutely. Because you got other than the house in the country, <sighs> you got everything that you wanted, probably plus more. Yes, uh huh. We've got incredible neighbors like i just the, i couldn't have picked a better spot for us well katie it's been so incredible getting to hear your story thank you so much for taking the time to to share it with us and i i'm leaving our conversation just feeling so uh just kind of revitalized of of just seeing the redemption again that that we're just really stands out here like blinking flashing lights like redemption redemption Neon redemption signs. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and i i have no doubt that your story is going to uh continue to change lives i know it already has and uh, i i just hope that with this platform more people will get to hear it and have more faith and and hope that whether they're a teen mom whether they're you know, a, a single mom, wh whatever it may be, whether they're in debt, whether they're th their parents are separated, that you've been through that all and here you are. Mm -hmm. God has carried you through it all. And it's so cool to see who you've become through it all. And and 
I asked Mackenzie this. I'm going to ask you this last question. Okay. Everything that you've been through, you said that you used to struggle with shame and that label of of the single mom, the teen mom. Who is Katie Kushel? Mm. Um, first and foremost, I am a daughter of a king. Um, I am deeply loved and held close by my father. Um, I have a better relationship with my parents. So, um, I'm a wife to an incredible husband that I couldn't have picked (laughs) for myself. Uh, I am a mother of almost five. (laughs) beautiful children and i am completely redeemed by god's great grace and love and mercy amen amen well thanks again katie for coming on yes thank you thank you so much for having me seriously guys how cool is katie come on i just love how authentic and real she is, and she's just an absolute gem. And as you can tell, she has such a big heart for single moms, and I'm excited to share with you that Katie is planning on starting a single moms ministry and is currently planning the first meetup for it. So if you're a single mom in the Cold Spring, Minnesota area, or you're willing to travel to that area, and you want to connect with other single moms, reach out to Katie on Facebook or at KT Kush. K-T-K-U-S-C-H on Instagram, and she'll give you the details as far as when and where the meetup will be. I know God has big plans for Katie and her ministry, and I'm excited to see what he does with it. If you guys have any questions you'd love to hear Katie answer about her testimony, use the hashtag AskTWT across the Testimonies with Terry social media pages, send me a message on Facebook or Instagram, or email them to twterrypod at gmail.com and we'll pass them along to Katie for her to answer. That's it for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with another great testimony. And as always, live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt.